Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Imperfect Game. Today's episode, we will be talking about Blackburn Rovers and their heroes and villains. But first, I just wanted to make a quick plug and ask you as a listener to rate, review, and subscribe if you're listening to this on iTunes. If you are a Spotify listener, just click the little follow button at the top so every episode that we release comes directly to you on your Spotify app, whether it's on your laptop or your phone. Um, and also just if you are a new listener, uh, Both and I have been doing a series on 10 English soccer clubs. Uh, we went f- and aimed to look at clubs that were not in the top six. And we're coming to the end of our ideas for these podcasts. So we did a deep dive into the history of the club, and then we looked at a hero and a villain. Um, so we're nearing 20 episodes about these clubs Um, If you have a club you'd like us to cover, uh, we would be happy to do that. Uh, If you have any other ideas, send them along. And if this is the first one you've ever listened to, go back and listen to uh, some of the older ones as well. We started this in the fall, uh, feels like 25 years ago now. And uh, thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Here is our podcast about Blackburn Rovers, one hero and one villain. Welcome to the Imperfect Game Podcast. I'm Sean Melia, joined on the other line by Both. Both, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm I'm real good. Um, I've I've hit this level where I've realized, or I'm self aware of how weird and strange I've gotten over the time in quarantine. <laughs> um, so yeah, man. I mean, I'm making plans right now to to dye my hair and and get myself a, a mohawk. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> or slowly going crazy like everyone else. Crazy, but yeah, you know, I think, I think we're going to see just like these, I don't know, um, uncanny versions of, of ourselves after we leave. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, I know it's you, Sean, I, and I, I can recognize it's you, but something about you is just different. Yeah. And I think at this global uh, we're coming out of this a little bit stranger, a little bit weirder, it, and hopefully, you know, mostly good ways. But yeah. yeah, well, so we're doing this on what's today, Sunday, May seventeenth, and yesterday and today, the Bundesliga relaunched, um, and that was kind of a nice thing to be able to put on. I watched a little bit yesterday, and I just watched a little bit before we hopped on. Um, Bayern Munich is playing uh, Union. Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very. Have you? Did you watch any of the games yesterday? Uh, no, I was a little bit busy. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're building a deck in the backyard for our pool. Oh, uh, wow. so I was busy uh, nail gunning some stuff together. Nice. Uh, but I have, you know, thanks to Fubo again. Um, I have watch. Um, speaking of the Bundesliga, did you know that for at least for Munchen Gladbach, uh, you can. I think it's for, for twenty euro. You can you can buy yourself a seat in the stadium, and they'll, they'll, they'll do a, a picture cutout of your face and put it in the seat at the stadium. <laughs> I um, I so I thought I had read about some clubs doing that, or the or the German league doing it, but there was nothing in the stands in the games that I watched, uh, and it crossed my mind. Like I wonder if they just nixed it, or if it's something they'll they'll do now that they know the games are are actually happening. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you right now, it, it's the best hundred dollars I've spent in the past <laughs> in the past few months. And I I found 
the two things that stood out to me watching um, the short snippets of games, the first is a kind of an obvious one, but you and I both as coaches, I'm sure you've yelled at your teams and certain players that they need to talk more um, mm-hmm. on the field. It is It is amazing how the players actually fill the stadium with their own noise right Right. uh it is it's really loud and i don't know if they've just placed mics strategically um on the sidelines but you i mean they are you can hear them the whole time and so that's kind of that's that's pretty great it also has this like voyeuristic feel to it like you're the only one who's actually watching the game (laughs) Uh, yeah um you know like there's no obviously there's no crowd the commentators are i do not think they're in the stadium and even if they are there's just there's no sound behind them there's no crowd there's no nothing it feels like you're watching you just have a uh an insight into a training match mm-hmm. um which actually was kind of soothing and calming in a in a in a different way than watching a game with the with the crowd singing um it's obviously strange when a guy misses a shot and it just like is is bouncing around an empty, <laughs> the empty seats, but it, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to, to sports just kind of starting. If you, if you're a soccer and a golf and a basketball fan today, you could sit down and watch the Bundesliga and then watch, um, an entire round of golf live with Roy McElroy playing. Um, and then you could finish your night with, with, uh, the last two episodes of the last dance. It's kind of a nice Sunday if you want some feeling of normalcy yeah Sundays are like the like the big time days um you know over here too we love the last dance in this house and and everybody kind of like you know makes some food and dinner a, a late dinner and, and we catch uh catch those those episodes they're yeah. just so good yeah so it, it's a it's kind of a nice little Sunday I was feeling grumpy this morning um just stuck in the house and the weather's nice and I'd like to go do something and you just can't so that that that's uh that's those are my Quick takeaways from watching about 25 minutes of, of German soccer, probably more than I've ever watched. Not a league I watch typically. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the United States with, with sports and fans and all that stuff because it seems like American owners want fans in the stadium in some capacity, which is obviously just a money grab. But, but let's talk. Let's get to Blackburn and talk about Blackburn Rovers. And uh, you were on the hero this week. I was on the villain. Yep. Uh, any any quick thoughts just before we jump in about your just any research or things you found before I uh, I lay out my my villain? Um, no, not really. I mean, my my hero my hero was it was a pretty easy uh, selection process. Um, you know, I'll, I'll unveil him later. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, I I was curious. I think mostly about um, your your villain. I I, I was wondering if we we're going to hear about Venkies one last time. <laughs> so um, I left Venkies on the shelf because you did such a good job in our actual um, Blackburn kind of deep dive podcast that I didn't want to I didn't want to double down and and I found another phenomenal villain that just was a lot of fun to research and learn about. And I've got, a, I've got some phenomenal quotes, but Venkis, the ownership group right now was definitely a group that uh, popped up on my, the Reddit thread I created. Uh, it was Venkis, Steve Keen, uh, who was a manager for a while and just completely 
uh, submarine, the club, um, was another one that came up. One, one guy just left, left Wikipedia links for all of these people. Didn't even bother to describe. He just, he was like, here's, here's three links for you to click on. Um, so Keen was the manager of Blackburn in 2010 to 2012, kind of that sweet spot of their, of their demise. Uh, so his name came up on Reddit and um, a bunch of other guys, Joey Barton. Ooh, what a um, name. Came up. He punched a fan, I guess. Or, sorry, punched our fan favorite, Morton Gamst Pedersen, in a game a few years back. Uh, Shane Duffy, an Irishman who was just kind of garbage for them. Um, when he got there, there was a lot of complaining. Gerald Ashby, someone who just wrote, boom, boom, uh Bomb Bomb 77 wrote, Gerald Ashby, if you know, you know. So I didn't know. <laughs> so I looked him up. Uh, it was He was a referee um, who was not a great, who was just, I guess, made kind of a little bit along the lines of Martin Atkinson. But there was really, a, there was only one real choice here uh, after your Venkis, um spotlight when we actually did the past and present. And that's just Burnley Football Club. Um. And the rivalry between these two, between these two clubs, is is shocking, um, and incre- incredibly fierce. It uh, it takes it takes the Crystal Palace. What was your what was the rivalry you you uh, highlighted? Crystal Palace and Brighton and Brighton, and it's just it's like kindergarten stuff. That that right. that uh, when when we when you look at what what goes on between Burnley. Uh, and Blackburn, who are very close to one another as far as far as geographically, um, they're only eight miles apart. Uh, they are both founding members of the football league um, back in the 1880s. So, just to give just to give a quick sense, this is kind of the opening quote that just paints the picture. That then I will con- I will fill in some of the details. Uh, this is from the 19. 19- this is a- from the 1980s. Uh, I found this in the in the independent.co.uk. So here's a quote. Quote, I was leaving the player's entrance at Turf Moor after we'd won, and there were lots of people milling around, and one Burnley supporter came up to me and said, are you Simon Garner? He was carrying a carving knife and said he was looking to stab (laughs) Simon Garner with it. Naturally, I said I wasn't him, but he would be along in five minutes, and then I legged it back to the player's lounge. I have never, ever run so quickly in my life. So that is... From uh, 1983, after the, after a game, Simon Garner scored a uh, winning goal. He is he is a Blackburn Rover who is uh, who is deeply hated by Burnley. Um, and there's another story I'll, I'll tell later about it. Just a he's connected to a to something else that happened that he he denies actually happened. So this is the type of rival we're talking about. 1980s fans sneaking into the <laughs> into the hallways of the stadium with with carving knives. Uh, hoping to stab players. Wow. Uh, uh, so, so that's that's where we start. Um, so the the clubs have been rivals all the way back into the eighteen nineties, eighteen eighties. They were eighteen eighty eight is when they both joined the football league. In eighteen ninety one, Burnley won its first match against Blackburn, and Wikipedia described it this way: In driving snow and wind. Burnley had stormed to a three-goal interval lead at Turf Moor. So Turf Moor is still the stadium that um, Burnley play into. 
emerging for the second half, the Rovers players seemed disinclined to proceed with the contest, and their lack of enthusiasm increased considerably when Lofthouse was sent off along with Burnley Stewart after a brief altercation. And the rest of the Rovers outfield players went with him. <laughs> <laughs> so the Rovers just walked off. This left the entire Burnley side against Herbie Arthur, Rovers goalkeeper, who appealed for offside as Burnley bore down on his goal. The referee wisely abandoned the farce, and the points were awarded to Burnley. What a what a phenomenal goalkeeper move! Uh, you're playing ten on one, and you're just you're just calling for offside because yeah, there's, no, there's no defender. I thought that was great. Um, so the years. Prior to 1970, so uh, I guess 50 years ago now, it was it was a pretty um, lukewarm rivalry. There wasn't much strife between the fans or the teams. Uh, they attended each other's games. Uh, violence wasn't an issue, and the teams played each other a bunch in in that you know the first 90 years of of their existence. But after 1970, the teams didn't play each other as often. Um, they would go sometimes like a, almost a decade without seeing each other in a league match because they continued to yo-yo between divisions and just they were like ships passing in the night. So one would be in the first division and get relegated the same year that another one is in the second and earns promotion into the first or they were always just kind of in different divisions. They never quite matched up. Um, and to kind of give you a sense, in nineteen in the 1960s, in the 1970s, they only played each other in 76, 77, 78, 79. Um, and that was a 10-year window. 1966 to 1976, they did not play each other once um, in the league. And then from 79 up through 2000, they only played each other twice. So that's uh, 21 years, and they played each other in 82 and 83 and then again in, in 2000. Um, there were a couple FA Cup matches that I think are in there too. But just as far as league matches, they, they, uh, they did not see each other all that often. And I think, I think we talked about this with Brighton and Crystal Palace where um, the, the lack of playing, we were wondering if that can add to the rivalry because each game becomes more of an event. Um, I think you even brought up just... You know, you get Real Madrid and Barcelona sometimes now playing each other five times in a year. Right. Um, whereas these two clubs are playing twice in two decades. <laughs> yeah. And they're and they're both very close to each other. Um, and they have kind of just a city rivalry anyways, which is really at the, the kind of the crux of this entire rivalry is it's not so much the teams as I read about the, the two clubs. Um and the matches and the vibe between the two cities. It is really, it is about these two cities who are way up in the Northwest part of the country um, in a, in a kind of an area that time has forgotten in a lot of ways, Manchester and Liverpool are up there and they're the big brothers, I guess, as far as cities go and Blackburn and Burnley were very big uh, industrial towns that have, have been left behind a little bit. So, you know, both both cities have experienced tough times socially and, and economically. Uh, they were both kind of rooted in textile. Um, their economies are rooted in textile success. And Burnley is also known as the, as the center for the British National Party. 
which is a far right fascist political group um, that uh, it, it, it just kind of adds to the the kind of the attitude towards the city of Burnley from Blackburn and from other places around England. Um, so both cities are battling for a semblance of respect. It seems that you know the fastest way to earn respect among these cities is to at least for the first part prove that they're better than the other one. So you know it's like two little brothers and they're both trying to prove to the big brother that they're better. Um, there is a, a, they call it a rough guide. So England has a, a tourist, a tourist book. It's about a thousand pages. It's a comprehensive book of, you know, the, the things to do in the, in the country, if you were visiting England um, and Blackburn and Burnley are both not even mentioned in this book. <laughs> So they're just completely they're just completely left out, uh, ignored by a lot of a lot of England. Um, Blackburn has one hundred fifty thousand people, and Burnley has eighty eight thousand. So Blackburn sees itself as kind of the the bigger, better, more cosmopolitan city. Um, Blackburn fans look down on Burnley fans because of their their kind of rough and tumble, uh, teasing the way they pronounce words, their lack of education. Um, people from Ding- from Burnley are called uh, Dingles. Oh man! And a- Dingle is a. Re- Do you know what the reference is, fr- is to? No, it just sounds. It just sounds. A- it just is real tough, and it comes off. Uh, it feels like a, a word you can use in a lot of songs and a lot of insults. So the Dingles are a fa- a fictional family in a British TV soap soapy t- uh, show called Emmerdale, uh, and the and the Dingles in this uh, in the show are just troublemakers. They're kind of dim. Um, some of what I read kind of insinuated that they might be inbred as well, <laughs> like just really bad. And they are also actually not from Lancashire. They're from Yorkshire. So I think there's like another like you're you're people from Burnley shouldn't even be from Lancashire, which is kind of the the part of England that Blackburn and Burnley are, are in. Um, so a couple a couple quotes here, a little a, a chunk of chunk of writing that I got. Um, I think this is from 442.com. I set foot in the town of the Bastards very rarely. Yesterday, 2000 and 1977. It's a town that time's left behind. I've been to a few dumps in desolate areas, but this place is on par with the Gaza Strip, Lagos, and Bancha Eke. We must build a wall around the hovel with Israeli-style passport controls. So that's from 442. Uh, from a blackboard mess from a Blackburn message board in 2005, um, Blackburn may not be a hip town, explains diehard Rovers fan Chris Riley, who's 27, before the FA Cup replay. But Burnley is a throwback to the 1950s. They're so they're socially inferior to us. I can imagine them pointing up at planes when they play when we played them in Burnley in 2000. They couldn't get at us because there were too many police, so they started smashing up their own town instead. They don't even speak properly, adds another Rovers fan, Paul. Paul Doherty. We say turf, as in turf more, and they say toff. What's that about? Burley fans just don't get it. They once played here and tried to destroy the Darwin end by climbing on the roof and throwing bits off of it. You know where they threw the t- roof tiles? Onto their own fans. <laughs> so just uh, Blackburn, the, the vibe is Blackburn uh, people are smarter. Um, Burley people are dumb, inbred, uh, uneducated unsophisticated and the Burnley side of this is that they they view the Blackburn fans this was a great quote uh kind of insult that I found that I'd never heard before they say Blackburn fans are quote two pound millionaires 
uh, trying to appear fancy and educated, but really just stupid, egotistical, and unaware. Um, Burnley fan also Burnley fans also believe back Blackburn fans are simple and not loyal. Um, noting the empty stadium when the team is struggling. Uh, and this is from 442 from a Burnley fan. Quote, Burnley fans are a different breed, he reasons. We're used to being kicked in the balls. Blackburn aren't. We've got no delusions of grandeur because we're so used to having the stool kicked from beneath us. The defeats create a camaraderie among the fans that's special. We might watch, we might watch Dross sometimes, but we still watch them every week because it's our team, isn't it? There's nobody in in. Uh, in Burnley who wears anything but a Burnley shirt he adds citing another key difference you see Man United and Liverpool shirts in Blackburn those people would be chastised in Burnley so Burnley's the sees themselves as loyal and Blackburn are not Um, so it's it's really it's between the fans and and Burnley so Blackburn is also referenced in a Beatles song Uh, and it kind of it, it speaks a little bit to what Obviously, the Beatles are from Liverpool, and uh, so they wrote they wrote the song uh, "A Day in the Life," which is a song I'm sure you know. Both are you familiar with the Beatles? Yes, I. Uh, I know you're a young buck, but you know, and sometimes people don't know. <laughs> I've I've actually heard of people your age now saying that they don't know the Beatles or they don't know songs by the Beatles, which is which is crazy to me. But no, I I know the Beatles and I know songs by the Beatles. But I can't say I have like the Beatles tattooed on my arm. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Neither do I. Okay. Um, so a day in the life has the lyric four thousand holes in Blackburn, Lancashire, and John Lennon said that the four thousand holes ref- refers to the poor roads in that area of the country. Um, however, kind of Beatles folklore is that it was actually a drug reference to the amount of holes in the arms of Blackburn, um, Blackburnians, I guess, uh, from, from, from needles. Wow. So again, just another kind of, you know, you got Blackburn crapping on Burnley, uh, but then you get a a huge pop group from Liverpool also poking, uh, holes, no pun intended in, in Blackburn in a song. Um, all right. So here is another kind of long quote. This is from the national and, uh, it just kind of highlights another little bit of the of the the rivalry. So this is in 1991. The Rovers were moving away from struggling Burnley. This is Rovers were just about to win the league four years later. Uh, but the enmity remained, and someone hired an airplane tra- uh, trailing the message: "Quote, you are staying down forever. Love Rovers, ha ha ha." Which flew over Turf Moor as Burnley struggled to overturn a 2-0 deficit against Torgay United in the second leg of the fourth division playoffs semifinal. So, 1991, Burnley were in the fourth division, wow. uh, which right now would be what League Two. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Blackburn fans flew this flew this flag over, just taunting the fans. Most Burnley fans think that someone thinks that the someone was former Blackburn striker Simon Garner. There he is again, the guy who was threatened with the knife in the 80s. Um, so the Bur- Burnley fans think that Simon Garner actually hired this plane and put and had this uh, flag banner flown over the stadium. Garner denies this in his autobiography, but his status as a Blackburn idol means he's loathed in Burnley anyway. Garner has never been popular with Burnley fans, not even when he met them on the inside following a 1996 stretch for contempt of court during divorce proceedings. So Garner went to jail in 96. 
He served his four-week sentence at Kirkham Open Prison in Lancashire. And, so, and Garner said, It wasn't far from Blackburn, and there was a split in the prison between Blackburn and Burnley fans, Garner said. Luckily, I had Blackburn fans to look after me. I was looked after by people who the Burnley fans knew were not going to be messed with, were not to be messed with. So even in jail, Garner was protected by Blackburn fans from the Burnley fans <laughs> in 1996. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you did want to attend a match between Burnley and Blackburn, uh, I, I did not know that they actually rank uh, how they rank what kind of police protection fans and players and and the stadium and the town need um on like an a to a b c kind of grading scale mm-hmm. um a being pretty much like it's just a game we don't need to worry about anything to a c plus game which is um extremely extremely protected and a lot of police presence games between burnley and blackburn are c plus games Ooh. So here's here's what a C plus game entails. So there's a category A, effectively low risk. There's category B, medium risk. C, which is for high risk fixtures, and then there's C plus for increased risk, which is obviously games like say Man United, Man City, Tottenham, or Arsenal. That's from the Guardian. So these games uh, are very rare. Um, and so here's a here's a, a quote from Sam. Wait, stop. Sorry, Sean. Uh, you said Arsenal is a C game. No, Arsenal. Arsenal Tottenham would be would be a C game, yes. Arsenal Tottenham, okay. All yes, right. which would be uh, like high risk, not. Right. In, it, it, but this is C plus games are are a whole different thing. Uh, quote: uh, This is from Sam Turnant. Quote: I know someone who lives within a five minute walk of Ewood Park, and he is a season ticket holder at Burnley. To get to the game, he has to drive past Ewood to Burnley. Get on board a bus to, at Turf Moor and join a convoy back to Blackburn. <laughs> then, after the match, you will go back to Burnley with the convoy, get in his car, and then drive back to Blackburn. That is the only way any Burnley fan will see the game. When Burnley were promoted to the championship in 1999, the only question was, when are we playing Rovers? And in the weeks leading up to the Derby, all Graham and I seemed to be doing was talking to the police. Graham being Graham Sunis, who is the manager. C-plus games are very rare, explains a Blackburn spokesman, but this is a highly unusual and complex match. There will be a significant police presence with extra officers drafted in from all over Lancashire. There will be a winner. This is from an FA Cup game. So he said there will be a winner. So we will have a lot of happy people and a lot of upset people. And we are advising Burnley fans that Blackburn Town Center is not the place for a post-match drink. It is a derby with a certain history attached, and it has added complexity because it's a night match. So the other thing they put in for the ranking of games is if it's an if it's an afternoon or like a noon kickoff, it is very rare. It would very rarely be a C plus because the fans have not had time to drink all day. Right. Um, so you add like they've got a, it's a night game. It's an FA Cup match. Um, so. If you were uh, the only way as a away fan to get into the get into Ewood Park, if you were a Burnley fan, is you have to take a bus. You are required, and you you may not just walk up to the stadium and join the people who took the bus. You have to get off the bus, and they take you from the bus, and they put you right into the stadium. Um, and then you get off the bus, and you get and or you get out of the stadium and get right back on the bus and go home. Um, so it is it is highly highly 
taken care of and uh, and and just an insane way of managing managing fans but the way they have to and reading a season with corona with verona that um there were some games where tim parks kind of experienced that as well where just the the process of getting in and waiting an hour after the game for the uh, home fans to leave so you could actually go out and and they did it for the protection of the away fans too um you're on you know you're on someone else's home turf and and the likelihood of violence was was pretty high uh okay so a couple other things here um this is from 442 after one such european game in 1994 when swedish part-timers trailborgs dumped blackburn out of the uefa cup one creative individual visited all roads leading to burnley and erected signs reading twin town trailborgs <laughs> <laughs> so just just uh you know blackburn gets knocked out of of europe and burnley adopt the team that beat them in Sweden as uh, as their as their twin town um, by the fans, and of course, what would a rivalry be without songs? Um, so a few songs that are just are really really nasty, um, but I, I thought it'd just highlight how much these people hate each other. And again, it's not about it; just doesn't even feel like it's about the match. A lot of the stuff I read um, also just kind of highlighted. The fans show up and then some of them don't even watch. They're turned and screaming at the other fans the whole time. They're not even watching the match. They're just there to kind of just there to be there and have people to yell at. Um, so obviously they have some songs to sing. So one what one song that I found was Who's That Lying on the Carpet? Who's that lying on the floor? It's Jack Walker on his back and he's had a heart attack and he won't be going to Ewood anymore. Oh yeah, that's classic. <laughs> so that's a Jack Walker was the beloved owner of Blackburn in the nineties. Um and many attribute the the premiership uh championship to him and pouring money into the club. Here's one the Blackburn fans left to sing at the Burnley fans. Uh, going going into the uh, incest part of this of this little story, your mum's your dad, your dad's your mum, your inbred, you Burnley scum, your granddad is your brother, your sister is your mother, you're shagging another one another, the Dingle family. Wow, and I don't know if that's supposed to be sung to the Adams family. Um, I'm not I'm not tuned enough, uh, but the fact that it fi- finishes with the Dingle family kind of makes you want to want to say it that way. Yeah, uh, and then Gordon Taylor. This is a quote from another fan, or actually, Gordon Taylor was a co- was a former was a coach. <clears throat> I still live not far from Ewood Park. My daughter in law is a Burnley fan, but the first kit my grandson got was a Blackburn one. And if I can give you one example of what the rivalry means, it is that when they proposed to move the maternity unit of the local hospital from Blackburn to Burnley, there were protests because no supporter of Blackburn Rovers would want their children born in Burnley. Mm-mm. Mm. <laughs> so just just a, a lot of a lot of hatred between towns um not in my search not a lot of like highlighted games or matches between the two they they've you know they haven't played much this past decade they've played the most they've played re- in recent years 2012 twice in 13 14 15 and 16 they uh they met each other and they've played in the, the FA Cup. They've only played in the FA Cup once in 2005. Um, 
after that or before that, it was 1960. Uh, the 2005, of course, they tied 0-0, so they got to play twice in the span of two of two weeks. Um, and that was where some of the 4-4-2 quotes came from, where uh, Ryder went and just followed a couple fans around. Um, they lock up bars so that you can only get in if you're a regular uh, on on those C plus games. So if you can, you may not attend if you're if you're not um, if you're not known to the to the owners or of the establishment. Uh, so you have to find there's nowhere for you to go and just and hang out and uh, and get a drink before the game or or try to cause trouble. Um, so that's uh, that's that's the Burnley. Blackburn rivalry in a in a very small nutshell through the lens of of fans and some some hatred between uh, between two cities up in the northwest of of England. Wow, sounds good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about some of these C plus games. I, I definitely was at a few um, down in Argentina. Um, we 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 were throwing rocks and sticks at the uh, visiting fans. Uh, bus coming in. Well, I, I was not. I was just watching, but um, and the fans are just like attacking the bus, and the, and the fans in the bus are attacking back, and it's it's pretty crazy. Yep. Yeah. I've read a couple couple accounts of of buses getting rocks chucked at them. Um. But no. I mean, I, yeah. That, that it gives me a, a lot more faith in English rivalry to hear that. Um. <laughs> you know, like this Burnley and and Blackburn one exists compared to that. You know, Brighton Crystal Palace when that started over uh, some coins and a coffee. Yep. Um, but but yeah, uh, I think for me, my 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 hero um, ties in pretty nicely. Uh, I think there's some overlaps with Walker being um, being mentioned as the owner that that put in some money and then um, a uh, an early exit from the the UEFA Cup by by uh, Twelberg. Um, but my, my hero, uh, I, I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to, to talk about Alan Shearer. Um, it, he's, uh, he's one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific striker, um, that, that we've seen in this generation. Um, he still holds the record for most goals scored in the premier league, uh, by like 58 goals or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, considering Blackburn, you know, haven't had much success besides that that one ninety four ninety five season um, when they won the Prem. Um, I think it's fitting to to make Alan Shearer the uh, the hero for today. Um, so uh, a little bit of backstory, a little bit of origin story of, of who he is. Uh, Alan Shearer is a CBE and DL. Do you know what that means? CBE <laughs> is probably something of the British Empire. Co- co- I don't know what the C would stand for. Um, so it's, yeah, uh, Order of the British Empire. The most excellent order of British Empire uh, is a British order of chivalry, rewarding contributions to the arts, sciences, work, charitable, and welfare organizations, yep. public service outside civil service. Um, and then DL is deputy, deputy lieutenant, is a crown appointment, and one of the, se- the several deputies to the Lord Lieutenant of the Lieutenancy area. Um, so... I mean, I I need a little bit more help understanding how one gets this exactly and how Shearer got it. But it seems like he was just such a good person on and off the field that he was just shy of being knighted um, in England. Um, again, he is uh, 
known and recognized as one of the greatest um, in, in the modern history. Uh, he still has a record. Um, he won uh, Player of the Year twice in a row in 94, 95, and 95, 96. Um, he came third for the Ballon d'Or uh, in 96 and third for FIFA World Player of the Year. Uh, in 04, he was named by Pele. I mean, I personally have my own opinions about Pele, but um, this list of FIFA's, FIFA's 100 greatest uh, living players um, must hold some some kind of weight, uh, and, and Shearer being on that list is, is definitely of, of, of uh, pretty high prestige and pride. Um for those of those of you that are listening and don't know too much about Shearer or don't know, don't really have any much uh, memory, um, he was kind of just like your old school four four two English kind of forward, center forward. Um, I, I'm yeah, I mean like if I had to compare it with somebody today, it'd be a blend of like a Harry Kane and Wayne Rooney kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, big physical uh, stature, strength. Heading ability, strong shot, um, you know, and I mean, all yeah, all the qualities that you that you would want of of an old school striker. Um, strikers nowadays are, are more, I guess, more languid, more loose. They're 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 uh, a lot skinnier and a lot leaner uh, in muscle, um, and they're they're more pacey. Um, and I think if you touch them, you know, they're they're going down with four or five rolls, uh, grabbing their ankles. Shearer. Um, you know, it was just came, he came from a day, came from an era where like he would get cards because he's elbowing you to to fight for a ball, um, and and just like he's just so physical. Um, so you know, uh, Shearer began his career at 12 years old. He was uh, the captain of his school team. So that, I mean, that reminds me of, of my captain captain days when I was uh, 12 years old, three, <laughs> 13 years old, and captain my school team but nowhere near as as uh as um you know legit as as uh as, as Shearer here uh his talents and his skills were were very evident and very clear um it, it took him head and shoulders above everybody he was playing against and he caught the eye eventually caught the eye of Southampton at 16 um they identified him they signed him to a to uh an academy contract um I think that the wording is that he is a he was offered um an apprenticeship or he was taken in um to be an apprentice which i i believe is you know the modern day equivalent of signing into their academy um and like having all your rights be be determined and and set by uh southampton um just two years later after joining the academy uh, at age 18 he made his debut with southampton and um he played against arsenal uh shearer um i mean you know, on your debut, everybody says you got to score, right? Uh, as a coach, everyone says on your coaching debut, you got to win the game. As a defender, you got to post a, post a shutout. Um, Shearer goes on at 17, 18 years old, goes on to score a hat-trick against Arsenal. And I'll, I'll play a 30-second clip right now. Unforgettable. I'd come on a couple of times as a, as a substitute, but I hadn't started the game. And then Chris Nichol, the manager came up to me um, at about 11 o'clock, half 11, just as I was about to have um, have a pre-match meal and said to me, you're playing, you're in. 
referee and stuff, wasn't it? It was, it was just, I could never imagine to go into the first team against an Arsenal side and, and score a hat-trick at, uh, at 17. I remember my old youth team manager, Dave Merrington, they had me in the next morning um, cleaning the kit, which was a sort of bring me back down to earth. But come back, it was a great thing to do. Unforgettable. So... Um, a couple things I want to highlight on that video that I'll link to you, Sean, later on. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, the field is terrible. The field looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. 90s, early 90s pitches are just a mess. Um, two, um, yeah, I mean, he, he scores, he scores typical uh, English goals. Get the ball in the box and just like swing some kind of body part at it and, and put the ball in the net. Um, but three, uh, at the end there, he says, you know, his manager at the time, uh, saw his hat trick and the next day had him cleaning the kit. I, I think we just we just don't have that kind of culture anymore here, where you know our stars, our, our young our young prospects are are being like kept um, kept grounded. Um, and it was I think it was that kind of tutelage and that and that kind of mentorship at Southampton and in in his earlier days as a kid growing up that eventually shaped his um, his approach to to pro football and and, and his career. Um, he was, you know, known as a as a pretty straightforward guy. I mean, uh, Roy Keane famously clashed with him one one time uh, when he was United against Newcastle. But for the most part, he's a guy that's just there to play soccer, there to play football, um, and and um, just get on with it. Um, early in his career, he uh, at Southampton, he was more of a of a creator. He um, was primarily. Um, playing on the flanks, uh, on the outsides, and, and just serving in crosses. Um, he would set up other other players um, for uh, for the goals that he would later score in his, his own career. But, um, you know, his talents, uh, his talents really kind of guided coaches and managers to say, okay, yeah, you know what, We're, we want you to play right here um, for us. Uh, and here's another clip of um, Matt Letissier uh, at Southampton talking about uh, a young Alan Shearer. If you'd have told me at 18 years of age that he was going to be the record Premier League goal scorer by was it 60 goals in front of anyone else, I, I would have struggled to have believed that at the well, time. You couldn't see it in him, no? N- not to that level. Right, but you knew he was good enough to but make I, it. I knew he had a mentality. Mm. He had a really strong mentality about him. Physically, he didn't mind a battle. So I, I kind of knew, yeah, he was going to be all right. I didn't realize just the volume of goals that he was going to score. And that might be because the first couple of years that he played with us, he had me and Rodney Wallace either side of him. Yeah. Me and Rodney were the ones that used to score all the goals. And we we were wingers, but we weren't wingers that kind of went down the wing and crossed for the center forward. We were wingers who used to come in all the time. Alan used to do these runs out into the, into the channels. And he ended up being the one that was crossing it in for me and Rodney to go and score the goals. So that Shearer celebration, we all know and love. Did he not ever practice that in the mirror as a youngster? Or, or was that a later on thing? Or you did, didn't allow him to do it because he didn't score enough? He didn't score enough to, to have a proper celebration at our place, to be honest. He got, he got so much better when he left us. Um so oh, that's um, amazing. That that clip goes on for another minute or so, but um, just kind of work through this this whole car, uh, career um, at Blackburn. I'm just cutting it off there, but um, while Southampton saw some some serious talent and some serious potential, um, like Matt Letizia said, uh, he he skyrocketed when when he left there. Um, he left Southampton um, in '92, just, uh, six years after joining them at the academy level. He spent four years at the senior level for Southampton, um, and left 
in 92 for Blackburn Rovers. Um, you mentioned Jack Walker, the owner who was so famous for pumping in all this money and, and kind of, uh, in some eyes, buying the, the Premier League title. Um, but a little bit of backstory on, on that. Uh, so kind of setting up the 94-95 title run. Uh, following the Walker takeover, Rovers finished 19th in the second division at the end of the 1990-91 season. But the new owner had made millions of pounds available to spend on new players and appointed Kenny Dalglish, which who I think deserves a point at some. I don't know where he is, but um, we've said his name a couple times now. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Dalglish as manager in October 1991. Uh, Rovers secured promotion to the new FA Premier League at 91-92 as uh, playoff winners, ending 26 years outside the top flight. So in two years, two years after um, ending their 26-year uh, absence from from top flight, uh, these guys win win the prem. Which, I mean, we're we're, think, we're I'm thinking more about like you know oil money coming in and taking over a, a team and just buying the likes of Neymar and Mbappe and Messi um, to you know to just do a complete 180 reversal of um, of your fortunes. I mean, think of you know think of somebody coming to Blackburn now and and doing that. Um, having Blackburn uh, come out of the depths of, of lower 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 leagues and taking on the the Man Cities, the Chelseas, the you know uh, the, the Liverpools of, of the league. Um, Rovers made headlines in the summer of '92 by paying then an English record fee of 3.5 million pounds. Um, that at the time was unheard of. Um, that was like I can't believe they paid that much money for him. I can't believe. This, is, this kind of money is being thrown around, around in sport. Um, you know, where's where's the the pride and honor gone? Um, you know, money's ruining everything. Little do they know that 3.5 million is, is buying in today's time is buying maybe uh, you know a 15 year old kid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 3.5 million pounds for a 22 year old from Southampton was was definitely um, headline uh, making for for everybody in the country. Um, you know, before that, he only made um, he only made one appearance uh, for England um, in the Euro '92 group stages. Um, so there wasn't there was some potential and some excitement, but there wasn't this kind of um, universal understanding that this is this is the guy that, that's going to go on and, and smash records and be the all time Premier League goal scorer. Um, yeah, well, the my hero from last week was the guy who everyone thought was going to be the English right. striker in, in Hurst. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, at the time, United uh, were were big dogs. Um, and Sir Alex Ferguson had, had initially um, tagged him as one of the players he wanted to bring in. And um, there's a funny story of, of uh, Alan Shearer saying Sir, uh, Alex Ferguson didn't call him back when when discussing the uh, transfer um, policies and, and transfer deal. Um, and eventually this led to uh, Jack Walker just saying, you know what, come over here. Here's the money. Um, you know, and and put on this nice white and blue jersey that's been so brilliantly de- designed. Um, when he moved, uh, Sheer just like caused all this um, excitement. And and the beauty of this week's uh, hero is that there's it's so modern and so recent that we have some some clips from from online. As grainy as as this video footage is, uh, it it does paint 
a pretty good picture of what Blackburn was like as a city, uh, as an as an environment. Um, again, Alshon, I'll link you uh, this video later on, but um, yeah, right I'll, now I'll put them in the show notes. I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at lines and lines of people um, standing in jeans, and I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll hit play. In Blackburn, they queue round the block to get Alan Shearer in their side. And of late, they queue round the block and beyond to see the team he plays in. The club are committed to a major investment programme. On the pitch and off it, Ewood Park is taking shape. The team look impressive. New stands are jumping up. Blackburn Rovers have become a high-profile club. And to go with that, they have a high-profile centre-forward in fantastic form. Hello, shirt, please. What size? Small boys. Alan Shearer shirts sell very well in the club shop. And at one o'clock, the man himself arrived for work and revealed for the first time the secret behind his recent goal-scoring success. Um, the two boys are, are these, you know, adorable, um, just young English fans buying buying a, a Shearer shirt. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to use that clip to paint, paint the picture of how exciting it was uh, to be there, Ewood Park, as you as you can see in the video later on, um, was undergoing some some transformations. It, it was it was being primed as a club and and ground to to host potentially the you know the, the next best thing in England. Um, and so they're breaking ground there, and and they they, they splashed and made headlines in, in the transfer. Um, so it, it it felt like a true takeover, and it felt like that one that was done. A lot better than than some of the ones that we've we've discussed in in, uh, in recent podcasts. Um, even though um, he did come in and, and impress, uh, Shear did miss the first half of his season through injury. Uh, he he tore his uh, ACL in a match against Leeds, um, but before that, he uh, scored 16 goals in 21 games. Um, in his in his campaign, he be also became a, an England team or um, regular, uh, playing in World Cup qualifiers and playing in, in um, uh, international friendlies. Um, and although most fans would have loved to see more from him uh, at at the international level, again injuries um, kind of plagued his uh, his career there. Uh, unfortunately, um, as it'll play out, you know. Injuries just just um, are the bane of, of many strikers and, and many talents existences. I think um, some of us wonder what what could have happened if, if Alan Shearer didn't get injured and, and didn't um, tear his ACL so many times. Um, he returned to fitness for the 93-94 season. He scored 31 goals in 40 games as Blackburn finished runners up in the Premier League. Um, he. He performed well enough to earn the Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year for that season. Um, and then later, um, a little bit of, uh, I'd say, Danny Ainge kind of wheeling and dealing. Chris Sutton um, was brought in. Chris Sutton at the time is, uh, is just this, you know, he came in from Norwich uh, and a striker that, that was seen to be the perfect partner in crime for uh, Alan Shearer. Um, after Chris Sutton arrived, they, they finally had that missing piece, that, that missing link uh, for Blackburn, and, and um, they go on to win it um, in 94-95, uh, lifting their first 
title in 81 years and their last one um, for a long, long time going forward. In that title <laughs> run, in that run, uh, Shearer Shear scored 34 goals um, and uh, Sutton scored 15, and, and it, it took um, it took the title away from from their arch rivals, uh, Manchester United, on the final day of the season. Um, this season was one of the most dramatic finishes to to uh, English soccer history. Um, it came down to a result. United was down, was back, um, was back two points, and they needed to win. Uh, needed to win and beat West Ham on the last day, while um, Blackburn was playing against Liverpool and uh, and ultimately lost against Liverpool. But um, thanks to the result at, at, over at West Ham, uh, they celebrated their, their title win um, in kind of like a, a weird, a weird. Uh, environment weird um i don't know like feeling uh here and then this is the last clip i'll play after the title win how aware were you of what was going on at uh, option park <laughs> we were we just heard a big roll at the end there i think we're getting a soaking here i'm not sure Who's going to be the most? Whether it's you or me. Of all the, uh, of all the uh, 37 goals you scored this season, was that the best one for you? Yeah, all be the best one would have been at West Ham. They won all one, but um, delighted. Just pleased to get it all over with. No player wants to play in them situation. It's a pressure match, but um, pleased it's all over with. I'm, I'm sure Manchester United will go on about the injuries we had, but um, the Canton are the key and the Kinchel just the gigs. But if you look at our injury list, we, we've, we've had it worse, if not, we've had an even bad one, if not worse. We've had uh, Wilcox, Batty, Gallagher, Warhurst, all players worth millions and millions of pounds, and we've, we've managed to get through, and it's a great credit to the squad. I'll let you go and uh, get your medal, Alan. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so that in that video clip, you, you can see uh, Alan Shearer's being drenched in beer um, and still trying to keep his composure to uh, deliver a, a post-match conference. Um, uh, talking about the title um again again this title um you know it what's that uh, that clip of, of aguero scoring the last minute uh, goal yeah 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 uh, it, i mean i'm aguero! sorry i'm that sorry to say, but it's it's two moments where the title was ripped from uh, manchester united in, in in different ways um aguero's one was you know giving the title to, to city uh these nosy neighbors for, for so many years but um, but yeah, that that Aguero one, um, this one here is is up there with um, one of the most dramatic finishes to uh, to a season. Um, a little a little bit more about about uh, this kind of idea that Blackburn bought their uh, their title and and spent money and and, and loads of millions on of uh, on players. Um, a fan quote from Reddit also. Man United squad cost almost the same amount of money to assemble as Blackburn's, and they spent more money than Blackburn during the summer of 94 and during the season itself. Also, Blackburn spent the same amount of money on the six main defenders they, that they used and rotated between that season as Liverpool spent on Phil Babb alone. So uh, as a fan at Blackburn, kind of just saying, look, like, pump your brakes. Don't, don't, uh, don't throw stones where, um, you know, where you don't have to, where, where, where you can't, because... Um, Everybody else was was also was also trying to kind of stay ahead of the game and and stay stay on the cutting edge of of the Premier League. Well, and those big uh, the difference between a Blackburn and like a Leicester 
uh, who are the only two to win outside of the big six is the depth. Mm -hmm. Like that's really what it comes down to. And Lester and Blackburn can both point to uh, an English striker and a strong back four who they could kind of rotate around. Right. Um, Obviously there's more, it's, it's more complicated than that, but that's the thing that makes Blackburn and Leicester city so impressive is that they, they just, they didn't have the depth of money to spend and have, uh, you know, bounce back from injuries, uh, by just plugging in another world-class player. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's just, it's, it's a different kind of money to have, to have millions on the bench. Yep. Um, you know, when, when you're, when you're down a goal and you can bring on Riyad Mahrez or down a goal and you can bring on, you know, a, a Gabriel Jesus, um, just different. Yeah. I mean, the, the list of guys that Shearer gave that United lost to injury and then comparing them to the guys that he listed from Blackburn, it was what David Batty and <laughs> from Blackburn. He's, it's like Kinchelskis and Keen and, uh, gigs, you know, like, and they just were able to replace those guys. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, it, it's a different era and a different way of, of working in the, in the market now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, continuing on, um, after the famous 94, 95 title win, um, the club couldn't retain a title the following year. And again, Blackburn at the time was, was a big club. Like you said, you mentioned Blackburn was more of a posh city compared to, to Burnley. Um, although both are, are in Lancashire, um, Blackburn was kind of, you know, on this, on this brink or yeah, on the brink of, of, um, establishing themselves as, as a powerhouse in England, uh, especially with Ewood Park getting some renovations and, and, um, and that title, everyone thought that Blackburn was, was going to go on. Um, they didn't finish, uh, anywhere near first place the, the next season, um, despite uh, Alan Shearer scoring 31 goals in 35 games, Blackburn finished seventh in the league. Um, really just fell off hard um, and just got eliminated early from Champions League, um, uh, just getting eliminated in, in the group round. Um, and really just that was it right there. After after uh, 94-95 title, 95-96 uh, was, was a bit um, lackluster and in came Newcastle. Newcastle came in and, and spent 15 million on on uh, Alan Shearer to bring him in. Um, and and at this moment in '96, he was England's you know um, jewel, crown jewel. He was uh, probably the most feared striker in the world at the time, especially um, ahead of the '98 World Cup. Everyone was kind of looking at England and saying, "Oh, this this might be this might be our, our chance here." Uh, especially after a kind of a disappointing um, Euros uh, 96. Um, summing up his time at Blackburn, uh, he won two consecutive Premier League Golden Boots. He became the first player in English history to score 30-plus goals in three consecutive seasons. Um, and he, like I said before, he brought them their first Prem title in 81 years. And he wins back-to-back PFA Player of the Year awards. He passed the 100-goal milestone for Blackburn in all competitions uh, in 95 and, um, in, sorry, April, he finished up his, his tally for the club and finally ended with, uh, 112 goals in the Premier League and 130 in all competitions for Blackburn. Um, 
Off the field, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Alan Shearer, CVE, DL, uh, he's given, I mean, you know, talk about a hero. As as hard of, of a ball um, that Tony Eboa can hit, um, you know, Alan Shearer, one already has has uh, given him some pretty tough competition with that. But I don't think Tony Eboa can um, compete with uh, Alan Shearer's um level of, of of heroic deeds here he was given the honorary freedom of the city of newcastle on, upon a time um with the citation in recognition of his role as captain of newcastle united football club and as former captain of england which have enhanced the reputation of the city um so he pretty much got this obe cbe award uh because of his playing abilities um and and bringing happiness to a city uh, which is which is i mean only in england um Shearer's statue is outside St. James's Park at Newcastle. It's uh, it features him um, with his uh, usual celebration of his one arm in the air. It's like a one hand, one hand, one finger point in the air. Uh, really <laughs> old the school. Greatest. Yeah, it's uh, it's very old school. I mean, I, I I don't know a player today that would even consider doing that for a celly. Um, but yeah, so it's it's him uh, in that in that pose in that stance mid run. Um, uh, outside of Newcastle, uh, on December 06, Shearer was created a doctor of civil law by North Umbia University, um, where the university vice chancellor declares that throughout his career, Alan Shearer has been hardworking, committed, disciplined, and focused in his endeavors, fighting back from career-threatening injuries with great determination and courage. Um, it, it's like everybody's kind of lining up just to give him some kind of award. In in October 2009, Shearer was commissioned as deputy lieutenant of North Northumberland, having been nominated by the Duchess of Northumberland in her capacity as Lord Lieutenant of Northumberland, and approved for the position by the Queen. In this role, Shearer, along with 21 other deputies, is in, is the stand-in for the Duchess when she cannot fulfill her role as the Queen's official representative in the region at official engagements. So this guy, I mean. I don't know. What is this archbishop kind of thing? Like um, he's kind of royalty now. Uh, where he's in the chain of command if if um, <laughs> if, if things go bad. Um, but like, I mean, who would have thought that that a guy who can hit a ball almost a hundred kilometers an hour can can become a knight or can become a, a, a member of of the English uh, royalty? Um, and then the last one here I, I want to share is. Uh, Shearer was made a doctor of civil law by Newcastle University. Um, Chancellor Liam Donaldson stated, Newcastle United are my team. Alan Shearer is more than just a local legend. He's probably one of the greatest footballers of all time. On September 12, 2016, a statue of Shearer's likeness was unveiled outside St. James's Park. So this is, again, back to that, that statue that, that we, all, um, we all love of uh, Alan Shearer pointing up to this guy and running away. Um, but yeah, uh, a few last... Um, notes on Alan Shearer before I give my rating on, on who he is as a, as a as a hero and you know I'll lead with records he is the top goal scorer in Premier League history with with 260 his next closest is Wayne Rooney um, 58 goals away um, and he has the most Premier League hat tricks uh, in 11 um, and most most Premier League goals in a 31 a 38 game season with 31 um, over the time uh, in England, uh, he appeared 118 times for Southampton, scoring 23 goals. Uh, he appeared 138 times for Blackburn and scoring 112 goals. And then he went on to go 
uh, featured 303 times, scoring 148 goals for, for Newcastle. Um, and yeah, uh, Golden Boot, three years in a row. Um, Premier League champion, player of the season, back-to-back years. Alan Shearer, for me, is rightly so uh, this week's hero. And I think considering what he means to Blackburn and, and where Blackburn is now, um, I've got to say Alan Shearer is up there with, I'd say, a 9, 9-5. Nine um, I mean, I, I gave Conte a 10. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this, this guy's virtually a, almost a, like an English knight. Um, for his playing playing abilities, so nine nine five. You know, more candidly, I I, I just want to say like I heard so much about him as a kid growing up, and and, I, and for me, you know, looking at his, his videos right now, like this guy just absolutely drills a ball, and and he was a no nonsense striker, just kind of just did everything really really well, and you know, there was flair in his simplicity, if that makes sense. He he kind of just glided around and, and powered through in, in the I want to say graceful but also I want to say powerful way um and he yeah was, was a legend I remember playing FIFA with him and, and this guy this guy was was one of the guys I that I I you know emulated growing up and and um I go from playing people with my friends to playing world cup outside at, at soccer camps and and just wanting to be like Alan Shearer um, he's got some goals out there that that would make your jaw drop. I mean, you know his his range. Like he has no limit to to where he's going to pull up from and, and just hit hit a ball uh, on goal. And, and chances are, it's probably going in. Um, so yeah, I think uh, if there's anybody that's going to vanquish that that Blackburn rivalry, it, it uh, it's Alan Shearer. He he was the perfect player for those two cities in my mind. Yeah, just like hard nosed, tough, um, kind of they embraced him because they they earned some sort of respect through how good he made their clubs. I mean, those those Newcastle teams in the mid to late 90s were excellent um, and probably deserved to be a team that won a Premier League. Right. Um, And I think obviously Shearer is a big reason. And he, yeah, he's just he was a, he's just a perfect match for for two kind of tough nosed, hard nosed cities um, who just embraced him. Like I, it would have been interesting to see. He would have been loved in a in a London club too. But it would it just it just his his attitude just screams kind of northern England um, industrial towns. Like he would have fit in at Sunderland as right, well. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I would, I would, I, I, nine, nine and a half. I couldn't, I can't argue. The guys are, the guys an all time great in the, in the league. Um, mm-hmm. and, and delivered Blackburn a, a Premier League title with Dalgleish. And then I was just looking at Kenny Dalgleish, who left. I think he's another reason they kind of felt that Blackburn fell off. He then went to Newcastle and managed here at Newcastle for a year. Yeah. In 97, 98. So I think I, I kind of guessed why Dalgleish left so quickly after Shearer was sold. And I think it's because he realized that Shearer was the one holding, holding the house of cards up. Um, and he was right. Burnley gets a nine and a half for me. <laughs> I mean, 
it's just it's the rivalry is 130 years old um it seems extremely intense uh i do not condone you know the violence and the and the and the sheer hatred but as far as just being from boston and knowing how much i dislike new york i don't think i could get myself to dislike new york as much as burnley dislikes blackburn or vice versa i mean i could never imagine sitting in the stands singing some awful song about i don't know like steinbrenner or you know thurman munson or some some yankee who is dead or died tragically it's just it's uh it's just, it's it's amazing so that that I give it a nine and a half. It feels like it's the stuff the stuff that I read and saw. Um, it just is is at another level as far as two cities that just really detest each other. Nice. Well, yeah, this, this might be our our first week where we have um, like a, a a very good and and I don't know well rounded, well developed villain. And and a hero lining up. Yep. Um, I, I can't remember. I, I think there was one week where we just kind of had uh, a, a lower scale, lower ranking ranking for our heroes and villains. Um, Crystal Palace was a tough one. Yeah, that one was. That uh, one was, uh, wasn't great. Yeah, I think I think it's also when you get a club that's won recently, um, like a Blackburn or like a Leicester. When you did Conte, you know, you can kind of dig in and. There's more content. There's more stuff. Like those clips you, those clips you found were outstanding. So that's the other, the other piece. They're the only two clubs that have won something recently, Leicester and because uh, less. I can't remember who I did for my villain at Leicester. Um, Dennis Wise, which was a fun one. Like that guy was a maniac. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, Crystal Palace was tough, and we we've got. I think we've got two two clubs left. Yeah. Yeah, I got our notes, but yeah. We've got a Sheffield and Southampton. Sheffield United and Southampton are left on our on our club. So we'll we'll decide off air which one we want to do next, and uh, and then we'll wrap up and we'll have we'll have a hero and villain completed all ten all ten clubs. Um. All right, Sean. Well, take care. Don't get too weird. <laughs> too strange out there. I'll tell you what the mo- your mohawk uh, got me thinking. Maybe I should give myself some sort of ridiculous haircut because my I can't handle my hair anymore. It's it's too long. Yeah, I mean i i can hide I can hide five sharpies in my hair <laughs> uh, and not have them fall out. So I, I gotta I gotta go. You know, do some things hit to it now. That's amazing. amazing. Yep. All right. Well, enjoy the week. Uh, hopefully, you get watch some uh, Bundesliga and get your soccer fix, where you yeah. know, where you don't know what the result's going to be. That's always fun. And I know. Uh, enjoy the end of Last Dance. Yeah, definitely. I got to rewatch the last two episodes beforehand. Oh yeah, yeah. Just get a good three hours of, of viewing tonight. It'll be great. Yeah. All right, All right Bob. See you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.